0: So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I am hitting record. I just hit record. I did it. Uh.
1: Yes, I also hit record. <laughs> I like I pushed it, but I, I anyway, I couldn't tell if it was actually going. Um Okay, welcome to feature creep. Colon mm, just a, a tea. A tea.
0: <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> Built in microwave, semicolon.
1: Uh Verisimilitude. Woo! So I think actually the last podcast I forgot entirely to mention um that we would love to <gasps> oh, hear from people.
0: Yeah, you can email us to yeah. tell us. <laughs> Tell us, tell us, Meg, who can how we? We're doing it all yeah. wrong. Wait,
1: let's go more backer. We have a proper intro. I'm Ned. You are Meg. Okay, and this is our podcast and about um, stuff, about stuff and junk and things and junk and things. Uh, <laughs> It's about it's, ostensibly it's about art, but really it's about scathing reviews of the design industry, um,
0: <laughs> right, or anything else that catches anything our anything that, angry that, that eye,
1: catches <laughs> our ire. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh yeah, so you can email us and we would love to hear from you and that's really the best and only way really to get a hold of us. Um you can find our podcast on various outlets like iTunes and all the other ones. Um you know, all the ones that feed all off ones. of iTunes. Um all those ones. All those ones. But uh the only real way to get a hold of us is by email and the person to email is dana our c e o and um founder of this yeah. podcast and that's d a n a at f c b m dot i o right so that's it um we hear from you uh and by you i mean our various listeners from time to time super awesome um yeah so let's get yeah. to it uh verisimilitude what's the deal what's the point of that
0: What's the point of that? What, yeah. the, what is the point of being It's not even a like? real
1: word. This is like a Scrabble word that's like, mm, I, I don't know about that. I'm going
0: to have to look that up. I don't yeah. know about that.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah.
0: Um, so what Wikipedia says, because that's our go-to starting point for every discussion we ever have.
1: Well, it's often like um, a stepping off point, yeah.
0: Well, it is. It's fantastic because it has yeah. like insane footnotes that you can follow all over the internet. Mm-hmm. And six days later, you're like, I haven't eaten uh so in f- it I'm reading here from the verisimilitude wiki entry. I was actually really excited about this because the there's like the title header and then right below that is the secondary header and it says Karl Popper and I'm like I know about Karl Popper because I read some of his stuff. Mm, yeah. Uh so in philosophy it's the idea that like some things that you propose can be closer to the truth than other things that you propose. Okay. So I could say like later I propose that it is possible and likely that I will ride a unicorn. And you could be like, I don't know about that.
1: I question the verisimilitude of that statement.
0: I question what you mean by unicorn yes, or I'm ride right. or later. Yes. Um, and so, uh, I could also s- state another proposition. That's like unquestionably truthy. Like there's just nothing controversially
1: <laughs> like, like it's always in the last place you look.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you can't argue with that. The
1: thing about this statement is it's super easy to falsify all the time. It's like you look, you find the thing, and then you look one more time for it. Right. Just ever. It's again. never in the last place I look, ever. <laughs> and I make sure that's a fact.
0: Okay, so this <laughs> illustrates a really interesting problem with this whole idea, right? Yes. Which is that like if you have a proposition that's some distance From or close to the truth and Mm -hmm. I have a proposition that is some distance away from or closer to the truth then like how how do we describe what it takes for my truth to be closer to the truth than your truth to be closer to the truth
1: right like there's so many questions first of all the (laughs) obvious one what defines truthiness right okay but let's just say we've we've agreed that there's a a universal truth like we're talking about mathematics where we're kind of like the value is 1 therefore the people that are closer to 1 are the ones that, but but even there then the question becomes how do you measure the distance right right so is the distance like you know again in the mathematical concept generally you might think okay we're talking about like a number line where we're talking about you know, the distance, like the number, the units of mm-hmm. of value or whatever between where you started or where you've put your statement and where the, the value of truth is. But that doesn't really fucking make any sense, right? Because yeah. either like the problem, of course, is that you're like, you know, in the statement of like, it's always the last place that you look. There might be another statement where I'm like, it's actually always in the second place I look. Mm hmm which is to say I always look everywhere and then I look where it is. Right. Like, so the question becomes, how do you measure distance between <laughs> the one statement of it always being in the last place that you look and the second right. statement being it's always in the second place I look.
0: It's always, right. Place, you know. I mean, yeah, I have no idea. Like, what does that even mean? Right. To measure that distance. Right, yeah. Um. So like, uh, like any proposition mm-hmm. in philosophy is just like some statement about truth value like yeah. the like like um like Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy calls them objects of belief okay or other propositional attitudes um so they also say the reference of that clauses and the meaning of sentences so like um Propositions are the shareable objects of the attitudes and the primary bearers of truth and falsity, Mm -hmm. according to Stanford. Um, So, like, anything that you propose can have some value of truth to it. Right. But, like, in order to know how close it is to the truth, you have to know what the truth is, which is, like, really really hard to nail down right right <laughs> like how many times have we had conversations with people where we're like oh this feels like it's veering yeah. off into a conversation about the nature of reality yes right <laughs> and i'm not here for that
1: <laughs> right i mean also it's like i don't mind having like a, a light-hearted <laughs> was that a lighthearted romp through the uh the stages of discovering reality or whatever we were talking yeah. about um yeah. but but my issue is like i don't if we have to sit down and argue the nature of reality before we can move forward and having a like in a, any, any conversation any kind of conversation or relationship it's like uh this is going to be really hard work all the time yeah like, i i think one of the reasons you and i get along really easily is or well is that we can just kind of like put that to the wayside it's not that we don't enjoy being like hey like Wait though, like I want to talk about this. But it's like if you and I are like, hey, we're getting in the car together, you're not like stopping me and being like, Look, we need to talk about the physics of traction. Like I have a different belief about how it works than you do. Like it's just sort of like, okay, no, we're we're on the same page. Like, let's go. You know. Um,
0: Um, I showed you my bumper sticker that I got recently that's like a yellow bumper sticker with big black writing on it and says, How am I driving? And then (laughs) under that it says how does an engine even work? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then under that it says how can a loving god cause such agony. Yes, yeah,
1: so good. And
0: I love that because like it completely subverts the meaning of how am I driving. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. From
0: like right. not how well am I driving? How am I performing the function of driving good or right. bad in your opinion? It's like how am I even doing? How is this even a thing?
1: Right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god, so funny. Um so like Karl Popper.
1: Yes, sorry. Verisimilitude. Was,
0: yeah, so he was kind of like into this whole question of like how do you make something closer to the truth? And like the his whole deal, at least according to Wikipedia here, was that um he he assumed his assumption was that scientists want really well-filled in, fleshed out theories mm-hmm. for reasons that the more you know about a thing, the easier it is to test the facets of that thing and see whether you have a complete picture of something or not. Mm -hmm. The more you know, the more close it is to the truth, right? Right. So, like, you you can't get very close to the truth of something with scant details. You need a lot of details. Right. So, for example, Wikipedia compares two different propositions, Newton's theory of motion and Aristotle's theory, and they both have flaws, like neither of them is perfect, but one of them is more perfect than the other. Like Newton's is better than Aristotle's because it is more proximate to the truth. It more reflects how things are, et cetera. So the two theories in that case would be described as having differing degrees of verisimilitude according to wiki okay so how much information how much true information they deliver is how truthy or how much verisimilitude they have
1: right right
0: um it was apparently other people have challenged the work that popper did and there's other people who came after him who have said that
1: are these so looking at this article is this under the heading of post popperian theories?
0: Oh I'm looking at the paragraph right above that. So it says Popper's I'll read it. Popper's formal definition of verisimilitude was challenged since 1974 by Pavel Tichy, uh John Henry Harris, and David Miller who said that Popper's definition has an unintended consequence that no false theory can be closer to the truth than another? And apparently, that gave rise to a search for a verisimilitude that did not, like, count progress towards truth as an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Popper specifically said that closeness to the truth has to has to contain two functions it has it's a factor it's a function of two factors truth and content so the more truth that uh, it says here the more truth that a theory entails the closer it is to the truth other things being equal
1: can i can i point out uh, one thing i really appreciate like on more like a social level which Mm -hmm. is that uh, popper himself stated upon presentation of this theory I accepted the criticism of my definition within minutes of its presentation, (laughs) wondering why I had not seen the mistake before. And the thing I like about this is that it's that idea of like strong beliefs weekly held. Mm -hmm. It's this idea that it's like I'm working from this belief set Knowing that, as soon as I have good good evidence that that belief set is not serving me, I'm going to discard it and pick up right. the new information that helps me have a stronger, better model of the universe, which is fantastic yeah, um, yeah. and and it's a great thing to see. Um, I think this is like most things are fucking ruined by capitalism because it's like in science, this wouldn't be such an issue if there wasn't. Now, science also suffers from like the male ego issue, right? Or I don't mean to like it's not fully gendered as men, but that sort of ego issue of like my reputation and my livelihood are staked on this concept being right. And if it's wrong and somebody comes along and proves it wrong, I, I suffer with it rather than like Popper did here where he's just like oh duh fuck that moving on like right. you know just great like um so anyway
0: yeah so like the people who came after him yeah and, and challenged him after him several minutes after its presentation apparently <laughs> yes. challenged him and then he was like oh shit um <laughs> uh it says here some of the new theories we're guided by a built-on Popper's approach, and guided by the notion that truth likeness is a function of a truth factor and a content factor. So again, that like the sum total of how close to the truth something is is a function of how much truthy information is put in yeah. to the content. Um, and then uh, evidently, they uh, some people who followed uh, Gerhard Schurz, Paul Weingartner. Ken Jeems are also inspired by Popper's approach, but locate what they believe to be the error of Popper's proposal in his overly generous notion of content or consequence, proposing instead that the consequences that contribute to the closeness to the truth must be in a technical sense relevant, which makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Sure. Yeah. Like
0: you can't just rattle off a bunch of meaningless facts that may be true about a thing if they don't contribute to its truth truth right. closeness to like, the truth
1: like if i want to add to my statement um that it's always in the last place you look and the sky is blue
0: yeah sure
1: and the hot sky. water what does this hot? blue like, sky
0: have to do with anything <laughs> right. irrelevant right it doesn't help you get any closer to the truth it's just like circling the truth like yeah that's true it was like it doesn't yeah. move you anywhere
1: if i stack uh, enough true statements together i get a big old fat truth sandwich
0: mm yeah Big one, like several stacks of, like, there's a, it's like in the cartoons where there's the, the, like, bottom bread and then, like, a bunch of smorgasbordy stuff shoved in there and then more bread and more (laughs) smorgasbordy stuff and then, like, the olive on the toothpick at the very top. Yes. (laughs) And it's so tall that if you turn it on its side, it'd be, like, an accordion. Uh Uh-huh, yes. That sandwich.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yep. Um... Oh, well, this is kind of funny. This is a great sentence. A different approach, already proposed by Tishi and Risto Hilpinen, and developed especially by Ika Nieluto and Graham Adi, takes the likeness in truth-likeness, literally holding that a proposition's likeness to the truth is a function of the overall likeness to the actual world of the possible worlds in which the proposition would be true. <laughs>
1: holy shit
0: (laughs) this is what i like both sort of like love and (laughs) understand as people's frustration with philosophy.
1: (laughs) i mean there's a lot to unpack there right um i so it's funny that this is where we are in this conversation because when i first proposed this topic um i was thinking more of the sort of general dictionary definition of the layman's term of verisimilitude, which mm. is the appearance of being true or real. Okay. Sure. Um, where the, like, yeah, like the and,
0: colloquial is a yeah, formal philosophical right. definition of it. Sure. Yeah. And,
1: and also in terms of that being towards art. Now, the funny thing about that is like, that's not divergent from what we're talking about here. It's no. just, we're talking about how one, you know, what the concept is someone's trying to capture. Cause you know, to say to say just offhandedly, oh, the appearance of being true or real, like it's kinda like what we were talking about before. It's like, yeah, yeah, you and I might agree, great, let's move on because we don't want to get into it. But there's a lot right. going on there about what the fuck is what is true or real oh, and what does sure. it mean to appear that way so
0: like you could compare i'm just off the top of my head here like one of rembrandt's self-portraits sure to one of monet's water lilies
1: yes yeah
0: and i would say that the rembrandt has more verisimilitude because it references very directly in a way that tries to capture the essence of the thing. Like he's painting himself and he knows himself better than other people know him and better than another portrait artist might know him. And so he's painting... a a portrait of a subject that he's very familiar with and is trying to make it as lifelike as possible. Whereas Monet's Waterleys are like this massive painting that is Mm -hmm. completely out of scale with reality and is like super impressionist. And so you kind of get the idea of light glancing off of something that exists, but not the actual lifelike picture of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so, uh, but interestingly enough, like you would look at it, In some ways, Monet's water lilies are like so real because they sort of capture the feeling.
1: I was just going to say, like, so I think verisimilitude is a wonderful way to talk about art because both Mm -hmm. of these examples are great. If we talk about the water lilies, um, one might argue that the importance is more that the directionality towards verisimilitude is well established, even if it's further away from the truth. It's like this strong arrow pointing at the truth, right? And when you look at it, you're like, Oh, I'm, it's really clear to me what this is, like that these are water lilies. Uh, or maybe not. I mean, if someone had mm-hmm. no exposure to them, you might not think that. But then as soon as yeah. somebody mentioned water lilies, your brain might be like, "Oh my god, yes. Absolutely. I see it. I see this this hard bold arrow pointing towards the truth of water lilies, right? Um, mm-hmm. whereas like with Rembrandt, it's like f- like really approaching that sort of photorealistic approach. But one might argue also looking at Rembrandt's where it veers wildly away from the truth, right? And it's Mm -hmm. lacking in verisimilitude in some way. Like I find Rembrandt's portraits oftentimes lacking in the more emotional depth or the sort of That you get with impressionism. And I don't know that you could art. I don't know that it could be fully captured the way that impressionism captures some other aspects, right? The like sort of imaginative larger than life sort of play on your brain as you sort of experience water lilies versus a Rembrandt portrait. Mm -hmm. Um, That's oftentimes these like rich, dark. Well, like, like the, the difference in contrast is both, sharp and also like dull like it's i don't know his portraits are amazing i'm not trying to like no i I think
0: i understand what you're saying there's also a lot like there's very little movement in a rembrandt portrait whereas Mm -hmm. the water lilies for example like have like a very shimmering quality and a lot of movement in the in the actual brush strokes and things like that right like it's very there's a lot of like tension Mm -hmm. from the angles of the brush strokes and things um i think In some regard, the Monet captures the movement of light across objects better than Mm -hmm. Rembrandt does because his is such a static image, right? Like any any of his portraits, right? Not any specific one, right? But uh, they also capture him at a like specific point in time. Like he's a living person making those portraits, but the portrait is only a portrait of him at a moment. As opposed to
1: yes, yeah, absolutely, and and also like um, I you know that's not to say that 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 in that style it is he does capture a lot of that um there's like a subtle warmth, yeah, that is. You know, I mean it, and this is why it's like it I, I think my point just being that verisimilitude is a very interesting way to approach looking at art and thinking about it in terms of that. Um it, by no me I'm again like beauty is subjective and all these things. Like it's sort of um anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, as as I want to do, make strong statements and then walk them all the way back to meaningless. <laughs>
0: right. There's also I find a Wikipedia entry on verisimilitude in fiction. Yes. So the 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 lifelikeness or believability of a work of fiction, yes. assuming yeah. assuming that to be, for example, writing.
1: Right. Right. Obviously. So um, I mean that actually brings up a good point where I I ran across this word and thought of it, um to mention to you as a potential topic was um, you know, after yesterday when we were recording the Dungeon 23 episode. Yeah. And I was going through and reading about other people's um takes on the Dungeon 23 process and like their own experience with it, somebody had made a comment about um somebody's dungeon planning and and how it gave a certain verisimilitude huh. um, that they'd made these decisions about either I don't remember what it was. It was like, you know, their dungeon was like actually like more of an old mine and so the way the layout was done and the way the rooms were and things like that gave it as as that person was arguing was saying it gave it a certain verisimilitude because Mm. it seemed more real. It was like you don't have like sort of the dragon's den next to the goblin horde next to the whatever. It was more like, no, like the goblin horde is here and this is where they've made camp and here's where they've been eating. And this is what they, you know, this is their little sort of space that they use for workshops or whatever. Like it's, you know, it becomes more real Mm -hmm. um, within the context of the rules of the imaginative world, the fantasy fictional world that they created. Um, So yeah, that idea of writing and, and keeping verisimilitude in, in, mind so that when you're you know whatever creation you're doing when you're skewing away from it it's with purpose and intent right sure like other people your audience your audience can follow right (laughs) yeah Yeah. well
0: yeah it um it says i'm quoting here from the um the wiki fiction yeah um oh shoot i just scrolled and lost it Oh, here. The classical notion of verisimilitude focused on the role of the reader in his or her engagement in the fictional work of art. So the goal of the novel or the story, we'll just say story because we're talking about storytelling here. Yes. The goal of the storytelling, therefore, as it became a more popular form of verisimilitude was to instruct and offer a pleasurable experience to the reader. Oh, yeah. yeah. The novel had to facilitate the reader's willingness to suspend his or her disbelief, a phrase used originally by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And verisimilitude became the means to accomplish this mindset.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely, I I think I was starting to, like, veer in the direction of thinking about suspension of disbelief right before I read that anyway. So that's kind of a great segue. Like, in order for me to, like, suspend my disbelief of something, it has to be relatively close to something that I... think or know to be true, probably from like direct experience Mm -hmm. at some point in my life. Right. 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 Or a direct experience of some text that has a high degree of verisimilitude, Mm -hmm. which makes me think that I've read something that is true. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, To promote the willing suspension of disbelief, a fictional text needed to have credibility. Anything physically possible in the worldview of the reader or humanity's experience was defined as credible though verisim- through verisimilitude then the reader was able to glean the truth even in fiction because it would reflect realistic aspects of human life. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of the true story.
1: Yes, yes, the true story. <laughs> I I uh, listened to that episode the other day and I'm kind of wondering if maybe we should do a revisit visit of that because I was listening to myself telling that story and I felt like um, it was kind of driving me nuts how much I was like too much suspension, right? I was like, just fucking get it out. Like I Mm -hmm. was... It 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 was hard for me to listen to it because my own speech patterns during that episode and the way that I would like – a question would be asked and I'd be like, hold on, I have an answer for that. But then I'd have to like go look it up or whatever. Um, uh-huh. And so it just became this like – and I'm like, wait, oh, but wait. And then, okay, what I mean is – and so it felt very like stilted in a way that was like high anxiety for me. Now, I yeah. – I, that maybe I would love to hear from people who've listened to that episode if they have an opinion because I think it's a very good story and it's worthy of doing it right um, or doing right by it or like giving just deeper discussion because it's fucking ridiculous. Like I
0: mean, I felt like that was such a great it, episode. It was. I, I mean, we I was enjoying. A
1: lot. Uh, yes. Yeah. Your but I just retelling. thought listening to it was yeah. harder as a listener, and so okay. maybe it could be a better production. I don't know. <laughs> something. It was just something I thought about. Um, I actually – so I had a thought about what you were just saying about um, the idea of uh, verisimilitude becoming this means to accomplish this mindset of um, Mm -hmm. –
0: Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, suspension
1: of disbelief. And I I find – I think about a lot lately. Like one of the issues I – or – oftentimes I find like with any kind of media whether it's like written or it's visual media or it's like you know uh, mixed you know it's like video content or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, whenever there's this story where it's like a lot of times the author or the creator puts forward things that are like like you know it's like fantastical but it's really clear that they're asking you to look beyond that and I usually don't have a problem with that it's like okay you know Yes, fine. We know that, you know, the meteor hasn't crashed on the planet Earth. But imagine if it did. Now this. Right. And one of the things that I find really frustrating is that they don't establish those same kinds of um they don't ask the consumer or the reader to also suspend disbelief around certain kinds of human behavior where they just kind of like charge off in this direction of um like where I'm just like, no, this makes no sense. Like a lot of like (laughs) my issues are always like, you know, I enjoy like post-apocalyptic shit, but my issue is always like, yeah, but there's a car right there that's broken down. And so like these humans know that cars exist and now it's been hundreds of years and the technology quote has been lost and no one knows how to make a car anymore. Like I'm just, I'm like, no, like, You can see how the car works just by looking at it. And it's not like this many generations away. And otherwise, you know, barring some bullshit political shit and some infighting and whatever, there are people who are established in a way that you could get together and start making rudimentary vehicles again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now you're all fucking on horseback and like (laughs) horse-drawn wagons and like no one, and, and like no one, you know, it's like, oh, these aging motors no one can make. And it's like, but you, like... I I don't know. It just makes me nuts because it's like the bootstrapping to get from where they are to like manufacturing again. The hard part is the knowledge, not the doing of it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, and, and then there's industry like, like look how fast the industrial revolution blew up. Once someone was like, Oh, look, combustion engine. Yeah. Like we were done. It was just fucking nuts. Yeah. Like within a generation, the world had changed yes and they're like but that won't happen because even though they can see and know that the knowledge is there they're not going to do it this time right like that kind of shit just makes me nuts i mean
0: like i feel like the world of post-apocalyptic shit maybe isn't all that great because it just hasn't attracted like great writers I don't that's
1: know. fair oh yeah absolutely i mean part of it is like yeah right because it won't ever really decay in the way that people like to like people like to imagine this world where it's just like devastating yeah, like they always like,
0: have worlds de- worlds decay in ways that are super convenient for a storyline
1: yes right, right
0: and which raises another question for me like i love watching for example movies with people that are basically set in some some world that is so radically different from the one that we're living in that you have to suspend belief on a bunch of arbitrary things. Right. Right. Like the, the distance we would have to go for reality to end up where these sci-fi stories are just some of them. I'm not, nothing in specific. Right. Is like so far away that you can't see how we would get there. And so you just have to assume certain things are different and be Mm -hmm. like, okay with that in order to continue with the story. Right. Right. And, um, And what I love about those types of shows is like there can be 600 things that are not particularly truthy and don't have a high degree of verisimilitude compared to what we're living currently. But somebody will pick on some like absolutely asinine detail as unrealistic. Like, everybody flies in this future Uh through telepathy, Yes, but, like, it's really unreasonable for somebody to have pink hair, for example, or whatever. (laughs) Or, like, how people get really upset, like, oh, this is a favorite one of mine because of its utter, like, ridiculousness. When something that is near and dear to nerds as like canon in a story gets shifted slightly to accommodate a different viewpoint in like an ongoing sequel or whatever and people are like there's no way that she
1: would be a
0: girl (laughs) and you're like okay calm down
1: i um i was a big i mean i still am a big fan of doctor who i really enjoy like a lot of oh and um, perfect example and like a couple years ago i mean maybe this was like 2013 i was talking with my aunt who's british at the time and um and it was like, right. I can't remember which doctor was like, they'd announced that a new doctor was coming, but they hadn't said who it was or whatever. Uh huh. And I just offhandedly was like, she's like, oh, it's been, you know, I, I can't remember what her comment was, but something about how it was like, you know, pretty cool that they'd like changed this new person or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, one of these days it's going to be a woman. And she was like, they'll never make it a woman. She was so adamant. She was like, that just, no, that will never happen. And okay. now, of course, they've had a woman doctor for a while, which mm-hmm. is I was just like, fuck yeah. Like, because from my point of view, it was like there was no I'd watched a lot of it. I was like, there's nothing
0: About There's it. no
1: reason for them not to do this. And in yeah. fact, it's a great story because it's like his whole thing is like complete transformation when he, mm-hmm. quote, dies and becomes mm-hmm. this new person. And and like it's a complete reimagination of the character it's wonderful and i was like oh absolutely they can absolutely address this and also have like a super strong female lead and just yeah. like really run away with the show which i think they did and which is awesome so anyway. i have
0: never seen any doctor who at all period even not even a little bit
1: early days
0: nope not like i have never seen snippets of it
1: really? excerpts of it I just, I've seen
0: still photos of it, but like a handful. Yeah. I mean, it would be, actually be really funny if there was any way to tell which I've seen less of in some like quantitative way, yeah. The Simpsons or the or Doctor Who. Probably Doctor Who, because I've seen a couple of Treehouse of Horror episodes that I really liked.
1: Yeah, and, and a bunch Simpsons of steamed ham episodes.
0: And steamed ham, yeah, <laughs> lots and lots of steamed ham. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So here's a thing that I was talking about, or talking yes. about, thinking about, um, before we got off onto another tangent, and then it's uh, and what I was thinking about is like how I said, you know, for me to to suspend my disbelief of something, it has to be relatively close to something I've experienced, right? Sure. Yep. For me to be like, yeah, that fits. Or that that gels yes, with what I believe yes, to be true, yes, right? right? So
1: like I mean, that's I was, why I tell you all these ridiculous story jokes all the time because right? I'm like, oh, we have a shared history that I know to work from
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So what I was thinking about is, like, if somebody painted, let's say, a portrait or like a landscape portrait of of Times Square in New York City, right? I have never been to Times Square before. I've seen it in movies. And like television, but if somebody painted a painting of it and put a very obvious detail that wasn't true, I would not be able to discern that it was not truthy, right? I would not, it wouldn't stand out to me as lacking verisimilitude because I don't know the difference. I have nothing to compare it to, which made me think if somebody presented something to both of us. Yes. Because we are different people, I mean, we're the same height and everything, but like, because we're different people with different life experiences who grew up in different places, albeit both of us in America, uh, at roughly the same time, Mm -hmm. uh, I showed up a little later after you, um, it, it makes me, this immediately makes me question sort of what we've been talking about, which is which one of us would locate what we were looking at as closer to the truth between the two of us. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we both saw something and had to estimate its truthiness and its verisimilitude, would it it would necessarily be closer to truthful, probably, for one of us than the other. But then again, this is the crux of the whole thing. How would we even measure that?
1: Right. How
0: would we know it's more true for you than it is for me?
1: Yeah, and that's where I think that um, it's...
0: Like if somebody from New York who spent every day of their life essentially walking through Times Square to get to work or something, for for example. Yeah. They would have such an evolving understanding of what Times Square was and how truthful any rendering of it was.
1: Right, right. That
0: they would be located much closer to the truth of...
1: Right. Well, and this is... Times Square. This, this, is, and could, the, this is like the issue of art and design, right? So whenever yeah. you're creating something... Um, that is attempting to capture some verisimilitude, uh, you're going to... It's that nebulous blob of like how much does it point at the truth and also like whose truth. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, like really, really popular art is both hard to do because you have to walk that tightrope between it has to capture a lot of people. You have to capture the truthiness for a lot of people and also not step on truthiness for a lot of other people. Right. And so, and that's why you kind of get weird as my partner is very fond of pointing out why, um, why insurance commercials are so fucking weird Yes, because they have to appeal to the broadest of broadest audiences. Also, they're not selling anything. Well, they they don't have a product. Their product is your misery. It's yeah. I mean, basically, like they have to capture the attention of a hugely wide audience and not insult any of them. you know like it's really a tough job and i you know whatever i mean we don't need to get into well we'll i'm pretty sure everybody at this point knows my opinion on advertising and and marketing and all of that garbage but um yeah yeah it's awful it's it's a terrible it's it's incentivized it it's incentivized to create the strongest verisimilitude with the most lie behind it
0: i was literally just going to say the same thing yes (laughs) How big a lie can you tell and still have people think it's the truth?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's like one of my favorite examples of this is like when you go down the laundry detergent aisle at like a Target. Yes. Yes. It's like that shit's all the fucking same. Right. But the packaging is what gives you the impression that there's a difference there. That and the smell of it when you become overpowered by that eventually. Right. Like, uh. All those things are trying to get your attention and tell you that they're better than each other at the same thing Mm -hmm. with the same ingredients, essentially, but yet are differentiated somehow. Mm -hmm. Like they're all saying, I am the best laundry detergent. And you're like, well, you can't all be the best, and they're like right. right. But the grounds on which we're claiming to be the best are exactly the same as each other. Uh, right? Yes. <laughs> like, well, that can't be true, right. unless you're all exactly the same in reality. In which case, all of the visual differentiation between products and packaging is a lie.
1: Right. It's so. so which is it? Uh, it's so nuts.
0: Hmm. Um. It's so. This is something that's interesting to me. I scrolled down in the Wikipedia general verisimilitude for fiction, which also includes art, right? So if you get down to the bottom of the article, it talks about the postmodern perspective and the application of the concept of verisimilitude in the arts. And so I'm interested in the postmodern perspective because I'm I'm not like by any means super versed in the concept of postmodernism, but it's kind of like, reflected in a lot of things that we see in our culture that rather than having a an in-depth argument about the subject of something just f- heads straight for satire <laughs> right. like satire and sarcasm are like deeply postmodern uh-huh so uh what this article says about the postmodern perspective of verisimilitude is during the rise of the postmodern novel Some critics suggested that truth or significance lies beyond verisimilitude and that only by complete non-discursive freedom to encounter a novel could meaning truly be discovered. So they argued that verisimilitude was not the first aspect of the text or a reader experience. Instead, the reader first tries to see whether there's even a sensible narrative happening in a book and then if only after that, Only after that initial like thumbs up, thumbs down can verisimilitude be established.
1: So So, it's only
0: it's only like it's only at first glance where it's like, oh, this makes no fucking sense. If it makes no fucking sense from the get go, then it doesn't matter how like how you try to get how you try to approximate the truth after that. Like I'm already I'm already off the table Um, for the application of the concept in the arts. The, the way that you tell a story and the the way that the source material functions should be in a way that makes it real to the audience, regardless of who that audience is. So whatever is real for your intended audience, that's what you should cop to in art. For example, in the pr- this – I'm quoting again. In yeah. the production of the classic superhero film Superman – the director had a picture of the title character holding a sash with the word verisimilitude. Okay. And that was to remind the director that he was trying to tell the story of a fantasy superhero in a way that would make it feel intuitively real to the audience. And I, this, this reminds me of something that happened when I was at a drive-in movie theater. Yeah. And we were seeing... The Dark Knight rises and in the previews for that movie was the preview for the Superman movie that had come out at the time which okay. I can't remember the title of but in the opening sequence of the trailer for this film they show Superman kind of like taking off and what it looks like at a distance is what it looks like when a rocket try, you know shoots off into space. Yeah. And so I think what they probably did was they had footage of a rocket and then they superimpose, you know, like CGI, put a put- uh, Superman instead of a an actual rocket ship right, at the t- at right. the top of the plume, right? Uh huh. And so as we're- <laughs> somebody at this drive-in movie theater was not familiar with Superman. Okay, it was clear yes. because they were down the aisle a little way. Uh huh. And they were sitting with some other people. And this person began questioning the verisimilitude of this Superman movie as we were sitting there watching the trailer at this public outdoor movie theater. And I couldn't hear the actual words that were being spoken or the questions that were being asked. I could only hear the tone of the conversation. (laughs) And so there was a woman's voice that Uh asked a question. Yeah. and there was a man's voice that answered with a, a downtone, right? Uh huh. So there was a question with an uptone, and then there was the answer about Superman with a downtone, <laughs> yeah. and then there was a question with an uptone, and then there was a there was a more forceful answer with a downtone at the end, and then there was another question where and this the final question coincided with Superman taking off like a rocket, <laughs> and the answer was because he's Superman, <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> So somebody there did not find that art truthy to begin with. Uh Uh-huh. And so, like... It wasn't no amount of truthiness in the context of a man flying like a rocket ship Uh could convince this person to suspend their disbelief and accept (laughs) that he could do whatever he can do because he's Superman and that's all that matters. She was like, Nope, that's not cutting it for me. I don't get it. It was very cute. That man's voice was very frustrated.
1: That is so fantastic. How
0: dare you question Superman's abilities and the likelihood? of those being true <laughs> It was really funny We laughed super hard at those people oh, I
1: bet yeah that is So, so yeah good. like
0: that lady was just Not she was just not having it She was like I I, we're starting out From a point where I'm not on board And no uh-huh. matter what you say to me after this point Will not bring it any closer to the truth For me I'm already a skeptic
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah you can't fix this Yeah it was great Oh that's
0: i tend not to make art with like a high degree of like real world realism in it most of my art is pretty cartoonish
1: yeah um
0: like i guess i'm not super concerned about verisimilitude in my art
1: i think i think it's sort of i i think it kind of goes back to kind of what i was talking about where it's like you're ask you kind of ask the observer to suspend certain things and by creating art that is just already well outside of like established verisimilitude, you are, you're able to draw more attention to the thing that is of matter. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I look at it and I'm like, you know, it's like reading a cartoon strip or something. It's like, I know that I know these characters aren't real. What I'm here for is this established, play that's going on or yeah um like the you have the what is it the sedan of um
0: the sedan of uncertainty
1: the sedan of uncertainty right like it's it's very like it's sort of iconic and sort of it's not like the very this is what i was kind of getting at with the verisimilitude is it's like Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually matter How like I think it's an interesting concept to just be aware of how far or close to the truth you are and whether it points more or more towards or away from like it's it doesn't actually matter that you're out in fucking left field.
0: Yeah, right. Or it
1: does if it's intentional. Like it can matter. What it, it matters, but it doesn't mean that it's better or worse. This isn't a qualification mm-hmm. of better or for worse. It's a qualification of what the verisimilitude is of the thing that we're talking about. So if right. we talk about the sedan of uncertainty, like it's it's both very close it's a sedan like Mm -hmm. i see it like it has a strong arrow of being like when i look at it it's like that's a sedan no question (laughs) that's a car but then when you get into the sort of left fieldness of it and be like it's also you know as far as how truthy it is of a car it's not very truthy it's sort of it's it gives me the impression of a car and i can imagine it being a car but also, I know I'm never going to drive in that particular piece of artwork, right? Right. Except for in my dreams or in some kind of virtual reconstruction of it. Like, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. the point, right? Like, it's... Yeah. But also, again, what do I mean by drive-in? Like, again, like, I've already spent most of my life in the sedan of uncertainty. So, you know, like, <laughs> like yes. again, like, what do I mean by car? Like, all these questions of... Which is great because it brings you back to that idea of, like, Considering and thinking about what is truthful and Mm -hmm. how far or close you are to it is not necessarily terrible to get your bearings. It just there you don't need to apply that like the value of good and bad to your location. Yeah. Like in unlike the philosophy concept where it's like we're trying to get closer to To there's a goal and verisimilitude is this like this imaginary sort of I don't know, plane that we stand on, I guess, where mm-hmm. like some location is closer or further away from some unknowable nebulous truthiness. Right. Um,
0: yeah, it makes me think of like Plato's theory of forms too, where he's like, you know, you can talk about a cat, but that cat is not like the universal cat. Like any instance of a cat that you see in real life, you know that it's a cat. But right. when you say that it's a cat, it's not the cat. So how do you know what the cat is? And how do you right. know that this cat is imitating the cat?
1: right right
0: because the the cat is a is a form right the form Mm -hmm. of a cat and that cat could be any cat or all cats Mm -hmm. but for it to be any cat or all cats envisioning that doesn't actually answer the question of what the formal version of a cat even is that all other cats are imitating or pretending to or Mm -hmm. aspiring to and In his mind, it was a linear trajectory that you could move closer to or farther away from the truth. And it was kind of like on a vertical, like a number line with arrows at either end and then numbers along the way. And so uh, depending on how you lived your life, the, Mm -hmm. the philosophical mode in which you lived your life could either get you closer to the truth or further away from it up and down that line.
1: I see. Right.
0: And um and then I think of like David Hume also who came much later after Plato mm-hmm. and was like, yeah, I mean you can say like red ball, but like what does red mean? And what does a ball mean? Like if you talk about, if you're looking at the same red ball that I'm looking at, we're not looking at it from the same angles and stuff. So the, image you have in your head of the same red ball that i'm looking at is not the same image that i have of the same red ball that i'm looking at so what the fuck are we even talking about right right. (laughs) is it the same ball that we're looking at or Mm -hmm. is it not (laughs) and how like red and ball are just aspects of a thing that you can't really see because all you're seeing is just the light bouncing off the thing anyway Mm -hmm. and so like how do you ever access the truth you
1: you don't right you this just is, have to
0: get as close as you can and just do the best you can and like try not to think too hard about it.
1: <laughs> I think um also I think where people run into trouble is the concept of like quantization, mm-hmm. Um especially when you're talking about like having some measure of value. So like we're talking about verisimilitude of being like some distance from or close to or far away from truth. Um, yeah. Which, as we've said, like where truth is, is also a problem. Right. Um, so the, but in quantization, the idea is like, is that a, a sort of anal, an an analog scale of like an infant, infinitesimal number of values are available between where you are and where you want to be? Uh, yeah. Or is it a quantization where there's discrete steps between where you are and where you sure. want to be? And that sure. like the red ball is a perfect example. It's like, so, you know, you and I, when we think of a red ball, we may think of like those sort of rubber playground red balls that had that texture on them that we yes, played with at school. Like a kickball. Like a kickball. And and also like the color of that red being generally some fairly accepted shade of red. Um mm-hmm. but the problem, of course, is that there's in actuality, there's an infinitesimal number of different shades of red. And people have hard lines where they'd stop calling it red and it's yes. different for everybody. Yes. Because like for me, I might be like, you know, well into the pink before I'm like, I guess that's not red anymore.
0: Yes. Right. You know,
1: and you might be like, fuck you. We were like, you know, 16 balls back that we're uh-huh. not red anymore. Um, And that's that issue that I think a lot of people run into with a lot of discussion like this. It's like that infinitesimal grayness of everything. Mm-hmm. Like. You know, and like the cat, right? It's like, how much is it a cat before or how much little of a cat is it before it's something else? Right. You know, like how (laughs) far, like how far do we go? Like, is it like, you know, like a three-legged cat still a cat? Mm-hmm. two-legged cat i mean this is getting very macabre but right. but my point being is like you know is it cat Wait, where hair did but the
0: cat's legs go i'm sorry <laughs> like,
1: but like cat hairs like if it's a cat hair is it a cat it's not but like if i have enough cat hairs as a cat do i have to have like some of the bones like where are we in the anyway you get my yeah, point. yeah like, this it's... also
0: makes me think when you said the cat hair i thought well no. Like a cat, a strand of cat hair contains all the DNA that makes up a whole cat. So is that not the cat? How is that not the cat? How
1: is it not the cat?
0: How is it not the cat? How am I not
1: myself? How am I not myself? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, verisimilitude, verisimilitude. And I think it's a pretty interesting approach to art or something to consider in your own life whether you're looking at or experiencing art or creating art or just thinking about whatever the fuck is going on
0: this ties like i've been taking these doula classes um not because i want to be a a baby haver doula but like other forms of doula work is doula is just somebody who like supports somebody else when they're going through a transition and so um like uh we were talking about who we are as people and like what our identities are which stating them doesn't necessarily mean anything except uh, this also happens in like academic spaces if you're a person who has a particular orientation to a problem Mm -hmm. you can state that to help inform other people of where you might be coming from so for example like if there's a problem that's specific to minneapolis saying that like like the the problem of like racialized policing in minneapolis it would be helpful if i say that i am a person who has lived in minneapolis my whole life so i'm a native minneapolitan and also i am like a white person which is relevant because of the discussion about racialized policing right Mm -hmm. and it, it maybe shows how i'm oriented to a subject or maybe not but it could help people kind of see where i'm coming from maybe and so i think of like These con these concepts of like identity and what it what the truth of something is, and I personally have a really hard time asserting that something is a component of my identity as opposed to something that like I do, for example. So like, I instead of saying I am a doula when I do doula work, I would say that I do do a work that I am or something. And so like this identity, uh, the the identity thing and the truth thing to me are sort of like interwoven or have this like uh, close relationship that like I'm very uncomfortable asserting whatever is truthy or whatever the identity of something is, which I see a lot of crossover in those concepts. Right. And I also, because of this, have a hard time, like I have a very hard time Asserting any kind of like expertise, even though I have expertise in some areas for which I could reasonably get paid if I was doing work in those areas. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have such a problem asserting that I know anything. And when people hire you, they're looking for expertise.
1: God, I have the same problem. So so philosophically,
0: I'm I'm like, I don't, I'm real uncomfortable saying what the truth is, what an expert is, what I am, or like why you should pay me to assert something, right?
1: Right, (laughs) right. It makes it really
0: hard to exist in this capitalist framework.
1: (laughs) I struggle with that too, because like I, similar concept. I don't think of myself, I am, I'm not, I don't say I am a software engineer. I do software engineering. right um and sometimes i do more of it and sometimes i do less of it i <laughs> you know like
0: but that doesn't make you more or less of that thing no right. no and like
1: right. it it's that yeah and then it sucks because like when people ask like when people ask me all the time i think this is one of the things that's like really made it hard for me to excel in the kind of commercial environment that i'm currently trying to wade through which is that same issue you're saying it's like when yeah. somebody asks me something i'm like okay but a lot of caveats right like you understand i'm gonna qualify
0: this all the way to back yeah
1: because because that's the truth of it like Yeah, yeah you want me to just be like fuck yeah that's not gonna be a problem and i'm like but it is a problem yeah like i don't you know in theory this is gonna work but you wouldn't ask me to do it if it was already a known thing that we could do
0: yeah right like
1: it would just be done. It would already already have been done. Like, you know, the fact that we're trying to do it means that we're trying. And and it's that like there is no try, I only do. And it's like, yeah, that's sounds the verisimilitude of that is like it sounds amazing. And I think there's right. a different word than verisimilitude, but it's not real. Like yeah. the reality is, is that you try and you fail mostly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you fail and fail and fail until you succeed. and that is you know and like i said like you know i for me it's always the second place i look i look everywhere except for where it is and then i look where it is and i find it like that's you know say it however you fucking want to say it but my point is like always failure until success
0: yes right
1: and people want to be like oh you just always succeed and it's like no. no, nobody does.
0: <laughs> no one does. Stop oh, burying
1: was, that shit. I
0: was listening to, God, was it a podcast I was listening to? I subscribe to so many of them now. I don't remember which is which. And sometimes I'll just put like my, just get in there. my podcast list on play and it autoplays whatever's next in line. So I have uh-huh. no idea what I'm listening to while I'm like working in the basement or like doing right, right. stuff. But um, the one I was listening to recently was. Um, Oh fuck, I just forgot what it was about. Well, shit.
1: This reminds you of a podcast when I was saying about the the truthiness of things and Right, not and it was about like
0: about- uh, about oh fuck i can't remember what it was about well it reminds me anyway of like how like stephen colbert called it truthiness
1: yes sorry i keep saying that and i do realize like he's the one who kind of came up with that concept well
0: but. i mean I, I it's i i wasn't even gonna like point that out necessarily but i yeah. i remember him using truthiness and thinking well this is like a more pedestrian version of like verisimilitude and yes like, yeah. verisimilitude is like the philosophically hermeneutical version of like the, yes. the the word everybody else would use for the thing right Right. And I've always right. wanted to write, I mean, this is a, a really bizarre undertaking, and I don't even know how you would classify some of the stuff. Like, how would you decide what gets into this book or not? But right. I've always had this fantasy of, like, being capable even of writing a hermeneutical thesaurus that just decodes all of the insider language into, like, regular people speak, like, non-expertise speak, so yeah. that it's, like, all these words that are coded insider language to separate knowers from unknowers, you could just blow that open and give everybody the tools to talk in the language that makes somebody seem like an insider.
1: So I just, I wanted to also point out to our listeners, like I also had to look up hermeneutics. Um, Oh,
0: sorry. No, it's it's right. So
1: the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts.
0: Yeah. So like hermeneutical knowledge is like knowledge that is, um, like outside of religion, it's knowledge that is really specific to the people practicing that knowledge. So, like doctors, for example, will use words that patients don't know for things right. that are just like they're just describing a body part or how it feels or looks. They're or like something. the
1: antecubital, and you mean you mean the inside of the elbow? Yes, right, right, exactly.
0: Yeah. And so, like these are ways that like it, you can. Denote whether somebody is an insider or an outsider to a knowledge group because they do or do not use the quote unquote right words and the words themselves become signifiers of whether somebody is knowledgeable about something or whether they're an outsider to that knowledge base. And uh, I find that very irritating because it can be weaponized very easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I feel like that happens a lot in medicine and that doctors will not listen to you and use, unless you use the right language. And if you do use the right language, they become immediately suspicious of you.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's the
0: right f- language being fucked. the language they would use to describe a set of conditions or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, like I think about how I would navigate my own healthcare in that way. Now that you bring this up where uh-huh. I, you know, having a background in biochemistry, means that i do have some understanding of some of the language that is used Uh especially when talking about medications um and but i'm always careful with doctors because i don't want to i want them to give me their treatment as if they weren't thinking about whether i'm gonna believe them or not Uh or like you know what i mean but also like i want to like also be like oh i know about that you can tell me more if you want to. And it's a hard to establish like a good doctor. It's a great relationship where they're like, Oh great. You're like, you have more to work with. Like, let's, let's talk more in that land a little bit, but also it's not going to influence my own treatment of you. I'm not expect like, I am don't, I earning their trust that I'm not going to go home and go on WebMD and decide that I have a different disease every time Mm -hmm. they diagnose me with a fucking, you know, scraped elbow, like, you know, um, (laughs) <laughs> anyway it's it's tricky right and being like and you know i mean i have the advantage of being a middle-aged white man right like i get the best health care of that is available sure. by every doctor versus being as a else. as
0: like, a as a like a, a foregone conclusion
1: yes as a foregone conclusion like i can assume that and then also that can be the verisimilitude of that is true like it's right it's close to the truth of it right um as established by lots of better people than i who've done a lot more research into this um, yeah <laughs> i mean i i'm not saying this is something proud like it's it it's great for me you know sucks for everybody else and right. i think that's terrible and i definitely try to you know speak out when i can and but anyway
0: yeah i have a i have a nurse practitioner who actually appreciates when i show up with like research that i've done because she doesn't fucking have time and like yeah i we have established what some of my health problems are and we are in agreement that that's what they are and so when i do research on them and share it with her she's like you know this is interesting not like you're a hypochondriac right
1: right that's nice I think yeah. that's really good. Um, yeah,
0: it's good. I think it helps that um, when I met her, she told me that her dad used to be a professor of philosophy and taught ethics. And I was like, interesting. I think this like bonded us in a way that yes, she yeah. sort of was prepared to take me seriously.
1: Right, right. For
0: whatever reason, and so our conversations were much more easy to have around like what I know or don't know about certain things about my own medical conditions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I I I seem to have some credibility with her that the same level of understanding would be very challenging I think for other doctors. For example, I was referred to some specialists and ended up not seeing them because they were likely unprepared to grant that I knew as much about my own condition as I did.
1: Right. Right.
0: And therefore I was unwilling to talk with them, especially because I've spent the last seven years researching my own condition, which is probably seven years longer than anyone I'm going to talk to about my own condition. And mm-hmm. so like, if they don't grant that I actually know some things then I'm just not, I don't have time.
1: Right. And that's fair because it's, yeah, it gets out of well. Anyway,
0: well, it's just it's interesting that having this, that being able to speak about medical stuff with verisimilitude is either really reassuring to doctors or is very combative and it's extremely polarizing. Which yeah, of those it is? It's super, and you faci- don't know until you say you it.
1: Don't. Yeah, and you have no idea how that's going to land. And yeah, it's it's nuts. Yeah. Good luck.
0: Good luck. Right.
1: And and like the way insurance is it's like changing doctors like it you can do it potentially if your insurance supports it um and you have other doctors available in your area but right. then when you start to get into specialist land like who fucking knows
0: oh my god yeah it's crazy so yeah i don't know that's that's a lot we covered a lot of ground on this topic
1: we did we did we did amazing um, Should we uh, wrap it up and post it and people can listen to it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening. Do we have any tips or thoughts? Oh, I did actually have one other thing I wanted to mention that I... um, About our conversation. We were talking about uh, the the sort of dystopian um, post-apocalyptic...
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: sort of fictional universes, and it actually occurs to me that like all of these are just derivative variations on the Connecticut and Yan- in uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court. Oh, sure. Like it's just it's just the sort of fantasy of like what would you do if you had all the knowledge you have now, but were stuck in the past mm-hmm. or like woke up in a like in a m- medieval time, right? What? Yes. And that's what? where I think like that's where I think like. It's easier the, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. If you don't know, um, which I think you do, but if you yes. don't know, is a a, a book by um, Mark Twain, who uh, and it's a story about a um, a Connecticut Yankee engineer um, from Connecticut named Hank Morgan, and he kind of gets hit on the head and is somehow transported back in time and space mm-hmm. to England during the reign of King Arthur. And, gotcha. so, and then just sort of hijinks ensue, um, <laughs> which like,
0: also is like a, a shade off the plot of um, the army of darkness. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which like, is the
0: comical version of Connecticut yeah, Yankee yeah King Arthur's court. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, which also fantastic movie. Um, oh,
0: God. So and, good. and like
1: nothing wrong with like doing derivative or like, you know, retellings and, and reimaginations mm-hmm. and fantastic. Like, love, love that. Yeah. Um, but my point was just that I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, I, it occurs to me that like my issue is that a lot of times with the, um, with the sort of, uh, post apocalyptic, storytelling is uh-huh. that they don't like like it's easier the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court is like really easy right because Mark Twain's just like oh, I got hit in the back of the head like it doesn't matter you get it right like he's yeah. back in time now like right. great whereas the post-apocalyptic thing is like there's bending over backwards for shit that you're like it makes it I feel like it detracts from the verisimilitude of the rest of the story, right? Because then you're like, but wait, but why though? Because if everybody is so dumb, they can't make new cars after 200 fucking years of sitting around looking at (laughs) cars and having all these opportunities. Yes. Looking at millions of examples just littered about that they can't fucking do this. Like, Uh um, you know, or yeah, like I I just... You know, You're whereas- telling me
0: there's not one Chilton manual left behind somewhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like,
1: all these books, and none of them are science.
0: Like, it's like- <laughs> yeah right um they're all just romance novels yeah
1: it's just all romance novels um anyway oh my god what it's... a
0: weird dystopia if the future was just <laughs> we all woke up from the apocalypse and all we had left was romance novels
1: everyone's uh, what is the what is the classic guy on the cover of romance novels um
0: fabio fabio
1: it's just like everyone is just like constantly trying to look like fabio like wh- whatever color hair they have they have wigs on and they're like right. like the only all... example
0: for successful man that they have <laughs> yes. in the future is the yes. cover of a romance novel and it's Fabio. right?
1: And so, women are constantly like strewn about in slinky dresses like <laughs> just laying on rocks or whatever and in distress. That's Why are your you clothes
0: falling off? Yes. <laughs> Was there a stiff wind here? Why yes. is everybody not right. under yeah? <laughs> sorry,
1: torn off short skirts, right? Like it's
0: just... Yeah. <laughs> like it's been torn off at the hem but like three feet up from the hem. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Where'd the rest of that dress go? Right? Oh god, that would be so fucking weird. Yeah, you wake up, there's only 40,000 people left on the planet and all you have is romance novels to go <laughs> by.
1: Like all all interactive dialogue is just this like like super weirdly awkward thing to navigate where it's just sort of like... It's never
0: direct. It's always in euphemisms. It's always (laughs) in euphemisms about
1: whatever it is. Like, you're like, can I have a cup of tea? And people are shocked. No, no. You must hint at it.
0: Right. I'm parched. It's not a dick. It's velvet-covered steel.
1: (laughs) Right. Yes.
0: (laughs) Just like super wordy workarounds for everyday objects.
1: (laughs) oh god
0: Uh, yeah yep
1: all right um well
0: feels like it could be true but
1: right right is a little off yeah Mm. all right well maybe that's a tip for living well in hell uh read more (laughs) romance novels imagine your life in the 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 dystopian future of romance novel informed society Mm
0: mm-hmm if all you've got to hobble civilization back together is a stack of romance novels, <laughs> you're going to need all the help you can yeah. get. Maybe burn them for fuel. Oh, right. yes. <laughs> Trick question. They're not for reading. They're for burning. <laughs> for fuel. Ah. <laughs> oh. <sighs> well all yeah right. send us an email if you
1: want. yes yeah absolutely <laughs> um, we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas and criticisms they're absolutely welcome and encouraged and that would be <laughs> uh, and Dana she's the she's the one to get a hold of so dana at io. beautiful that's it that's all we got okay bye okay bye